going back to what Gina was saying about PALS distancing from the natural rate of interest, the natural rate of unemployment, that's one benefit of nominal GDP targeting is you don't need to know those. You set a target for a nominal measure, a dollar measure of spending, and it allows you not to get hung up on the month-to-month movements in inflation. It allows you to see through it. And, and even Bernanke has mentioned this before. You know, when you have a supply shock to inflation, it's best to see through it, not to get too hung up on it. So I do think this would be consistent with a, a Powell personality, maybe even a visioning, and hopefully in the future it will be part of the discussions. Welcome to the Mercatus Policy Download. I'm your host, Chad Reese. Inflation, rate hikes, hawks, doves, and yes, even dual mandates. We're diving into the exciting and at times intractable world of the Federal Reserve today to talk about new-ish Fed Chair Jay Powell and the Fed's recent announcement that it's increasing its interest rate target now and in the near future. That makes this the perfect time to talk about the direction the Fed may be heading under Powell's leadership. Here to answer that question, we have an all-star panel of Fed watchers. First, we're joined on the phone by Gina Smilik, Fed reporter for Bloomberg. Thanks for calling in, Gina. Thanks for having me. Second, we have Joseph Gagnon here in the studio. Joe is an international macroeconomist at the Peterson Institute for International Economics and a former Fed economist. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks. Good to be here. And finally, economist, colleague, and fellow podcast host David Beckworth is with us. David is a scholar with our program for monetary policy here at Mercatus and hosts the popular economics podcast, Macro Musings. Welcome to the other side of the microphone, David. Thanks for having me on. So I always like to start these conversations, giving our listeners some context for the conversation and keeping us all on the same page. I kind of already hinted at this in the introduction, but I want to start with the Fed's recent announcement. So can somebody maybe walk me through what happened at the Fed's last press conference a couple of weeks ago and and why that even matters? Yeah, so I can go ahead and start. So it was a really interesting press conference for a couple of reasons. So the the Fed hiked rates, um, which was broadly expected, but what they also did was pulled forward one of their rate hikes in their economic projections into 2018, and then at the same time lowered their unemployment rate forecast for the this year and in the next year as well. And so it was a couple of moving pieces, a lot of parts that Jay Powell, the Fed chair, had to explain. And so at his press conference, he really came out with this really strong message that growth is picking up in the U.S., that it's looking really good, but that you know, the Fed is going to continue on this gradual path forward for rate increases. So he had to sort of thread the line of talking really optimistically about the current economy, but also explaining why the Fed isn't going to get more aggressive in its pursuit of monetary policy. Yes, I could say, to me, what Gina just said is right. But what struck me is that the lowering of the Fed's unemployment forecast without lowering its estimate of what the the natural rate is, heightened a tension that was already in their forecast, which is that the economy may be above potential by that measure, which would tend to put upward pressure on inflation, and they're not showing it in their forecast. And there were a lot of questions that really drilled on that in the press conference. And what I took from that was that Powell didn't want to be pinned down too much, but he did sort of hint that maybe they just don't want to put a lot of reliance on their natural rate estimate and that maybe the economy can grow faster than they think. But he obviously couldn't. It was kind of odd because they're not saying that yet, uh, but he was hinting that he he would put less weight on that part of their forecast. Yeah, that was an interesting part of the press conference. And Gina asked the question. Thanks, Gina. That was... Uh, <laughs> Great for us <laughs> press conference watchers. Also highlighting a, a, another tension, I think complements that tension about the unemployment rate and its longer natural rate. 
The Fed has set a path for interest rates that ultimately, if followed, will lead to an inverted yield curve. They uh, have signaled, you know, they're going to have enough rate hikes that by the end of 2019, Fed funds rate should be between three and three and a quarter percent. Their long run forecast is 2.9, and that's about where the 10 year Treasury is. Now, you can think of that long run federal funds rate kind of approximation where the, you know, the long run uh, Treasury rate will be. So, what we see is an inverted yield curve if this comes to fruition, similarly to this tension created by the long run natural rate and, and the short run rate. And of course, you know, as everyone knows, when you have an inverted yield curve, usually that's followed by a recession, which would be one way to get to the uh, long-run natural rate. I don't think that's the story they're <laughs> trying to tell, but but it was another tension that I noticed um, in their numbers. Although, to be fair, if you ask the Fed about that projection, and, and people have in the past, they would probably say that, you know, we don't believe we're going to invert the yield curve because we believe that th- the, it's going to steepen sort of as we as we move out, you know, as we get, go forward and people realize how strong growth is and, and how we're moving this rate path forward, they're going to sort of move up those long-run expectations. Do you, do you think that's not accurate? Well, I, I think Ben Bernanke made a similar case in 2006. Uh, the yield curve was flattening. And that, and to be fair, flattening doesn't necessarily mean an inverted yield curve. But he back then, the same question was asked of him. And what he attributed it to was the declining term premium, that, you know, that there were forces, uh, structural changes, accounting rule changes that were pressing the term premium down. And maybe this time that will be the case. Maybe, you know, that will happen. Maybe it will be different. But I, to me, what it suggests is to be cautious. And maybe they will be. Maybe they'll back off their rate hikes they've got penciled in if things do slow down. It is an interesting point, though. I mean, I feel like they didn't, they don't make a really clear explanation of how they're planning on getting from that 3.5% unemployment forecast in 2020 up to 4.5%, which is what they're forecasting for the longer run. So it does sort of beg this question, like, are they expecting to induce some sort of a recession or is some other mechanism at play there? My colleague, David Stockton at the Peterson Institute, pointed out to me that the Fed since World War II uh, has never got us from this far below what they thought the natural rate was to the natural rate without a recession. It's never happened. So it's Uh-oh. not very encouraging <laughs> for the future. And I think, you know, you know, yield curve inversion, there is an issue as to whether you need to have more of an inversion now than before because of the term premium difference, but whatever. The point is that if it's inverted significantly, it, it may be an indicator of recession, but it may also be what the Fed th- thinks the economy needs. I don't think we're there yet, and I don't. You know, will the next year or two will play will play out. You know, if yeah, that's I, I think that's fair. I think you know the Fed was talking up rate hikes since 2014. They 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 would talk them up. They would pull back as they saw the bad numbers coming in. So I do want to give them you know the benefit of the doubt. They'll do the same now. They may not get all the rate hikes they want. I'm kind of curious, especially when we talk about you know whether or not. Chair Powell is going to treat things like natural rate of interest the same, or whether there are going to be other changes. So I know David and Jeannie, you've been watching the Fed for a long time. Joe, you worked at the Fed. I'm curious if these sorts of maybe at least rhetorical changes from Powell uh, and Gina, you had a great piece talking about you know the Fed chair of the people. I think something to that effect. So are, are these re- just rhetorical changes? The Fed is just a different communicating style, or do you all think that there's something here? Like is is the Fed going in a fundamentally different direction under Powell than it was under say the end of Yellen's term? And a little bit of this is tea leaf reading, and I and I understand that, but it, it, guesses are fine here. So I'll just answer speaking to the story I've already written because it feels like that's the easiest way to do it. 
But so in in the story I wrote that you referenced, we talked uh, quite a bit about this idea that Powell is really pumping up this effort that's been sort of in train at the Fed for a while to communicate more directly with the public. So to make monetary policy accessible and not something that happens behind closed doors and in sort of dark corridors. And and so this has been happening for a while. Alan Greenspan started to be more transparent toward the end of his tenure as Fed chair. Ben Bernanke really pushed this forward aggressively in the wake of the crisis. And then Jenny Yellen kind of took up the reins. But Powell came out at the press conference last week and, and sort of said, you know, monetary policy affects everyone. I want to start with a plain English summary of how the economy is doing. And so I think you saw sort of this more explicit communication that said, you know, I want to talk to normal people and not just to financial markets, which I think is taking this one step further than we've seen before. And that's interesting because it's not totally clear what's motivating that, you know, whether it's some sort of, you know, desire to insulate the Fed from political pressures or whether it's, just, you know, this is the right thing to do because monetary policy does affect everyone, I'm not sure. And I'd be, I would actually be interested in hearing Joe and David's opinion on that. Well, sure. I, I actually agree with you, Gina, that um, it's striking to me that Powell really seems to want to be a good communicator. And I think he is actually, I love Janet Yellen, but I think he's even better at communicating. And I think that shows, and I think that's a striking change. But I don't see that policy is moving differently than it would have under Janet Yellen. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't, I don't think there are big changes yet. Although, you know, Powell did discuss they've talked, they may talk about like price level targeting. He was asked at the press conference if that was a topic that was brought up and he, he said, not yet. So for those of us who are hoping for that discussion, <laughs> gave some hope. But I, I agree. I loved Gina's piece. And I, I was making that same observation as far back as his testimony. He just seemed real natural, real at ease. And I think that goes a long ways politically, and um, maybe it's just who he is. There's these stories that he's a very likable person. I remember one account said that he was at Reagan National Airport and found a family in distress trying to make a flight on time. So he literally grabbed the suitcases for them as they grabbed their kids and ran <laughs> to the terminal. And it, it, his communication just might be a reflection of that genuine, folksy, down-to-earth kind of guy that he is. David, I'm glad you brought up his first congressional testimony because I think after that testimony, you wrote something to the effect of Powell issued the strongest embrace of rules-based monetary policy by by any Fed chair up to this point. And from my perspective, I've watched Congress debating Federal Reserve reforms for the last several years, and rules-based monetary policy has sort of been the catchphrase that everyone's been talking about. Should we have more discretion by individuals or should should be more rules-based? I'm curious your all's perspective as, as again, Fed watchers and analysts. Uh, one, do you have an opinion on which direction the Fed should go? Or maybe do you even have some guesses on is, is Powell really embracing a more rules-based approach uh, or, or do things still seem status quo? I don't see him. Embr- I mean, he may have talked about rules, but so did Yellen. I mean, Yellen loved to think about policy in terms of rules. Uh, but I think she wasn't willing, didn't want to have to commit to that. I, and I, I don't see that Powell has changed it. But I, maybe he will. I don't know. Well, what he said in that first testimony at the very end of it, he had this little kind of throwaway line that I like rules. I, I reference them when I'm thinking about policy. And then in conjunction with that, he submitted this this annual report and it had a list of rules in it, which was, you know, it was like a, a an option, of, a menu of rules of sorts. And then on top of that, the, the Gov- Board of Governors now has on the website a, a, a rule section and they list some rules and there's, there are a few different ones. There's that. 
Um, but I talked to a senior Fed staffer about this, and, and she mentioned that this was already going on with Yellen, that they were going to publish these if Yellen had been chair. So in some ways, this may be just growing momentum. You know, Gina mentioned the growing communication push. Well, you know, just reporting these rules may be a part of that strategy, and and you know, maybe Powell's just very open about it and and, and loves it. So I mean, yeah, I would like to see him continue to move in that direction. That's my personal preference. How far this will go, I think, is unclear. I also think it's interesting and probably relevant here that Powell is really de-emphasizing sort of these unobservable variables. So like he, during that press conference, really strongly pushed back on the idea that we could know the natural rate of interest or the natural rate of unemployment with any precision. And I think that's really important in a rules context, because if you're talking about a monetary policy rule like the Taylor rule, you know, uh, the the you know single sort of biggest component of the Taylor rule is figuring out an output gap. And if you don't think you know sort of what potential growth is, you don't know the output gap. And if, if you're trying to understand sort of a Phillips curve model, then you need to know the unemployment gap from natural unemployment. And if you don't believe you know what natural unemployment is with any precision, it would make you a lot more cautious about using that as sort of a determinant of monetary policy in any way. So I think that's probably important to thinking about how he understands rules. I don't want to make sure, especially since David is sitting next to me and uh, and might hit me if I don't bring up nominal GDP targeting. <laughs> at, at some point, I'm going to use the rules based conversation point as kind of a natural natural bridge and and reference that without without going into too much detail. You know, nominal GDP targeting is one of these rules based approaches that has been mentioned. I think increasingly, we were actually just chatting before the podcast about some thinkers who have increasingly written about it. Uh, can someone maybe give me just a quick 30-second version of what nominal GDP targeting is and and why folks like James Bullard and Larry Summers have suddenly started talking about this as, as one possible way for the Fed to go in the future. Oh, David, you, this is you have to do this. You know, <laughs> people get tired of hearing me say it, so Joe, I'll give you the honors. I don't know. I, I, I uh, Rather than try to uh, explain what I think some people think with nominal GDP targeting, I, I will just say that I, I, I like nominal GDP targeting as a goal for monetary policy in the sense that I think uh, aggregate nominal spending is, I think, what monetary policy can affect most directly. And and we can't really know how much of it's going to turn out to inflation versus real growth, real output. So that nominal GDP is uh, the product of those two things. And let the free market determine how that pops out. You can't really decide that. You can only decide the total of nominal spending. So it makes sense that that should be your goal. It should be moving steadily. I think maybe the issue is how various monetary rules translate into nominal GDP. Like, you know, should you, there's Taylor rules can be viewed from a nominal GDP context in certain frameworks. I mean, there's different types of Taylor rules and there are some that translate into a nominal GDP target. But you could view it from a different perspective. I mean, there's this idea of forecast targeting. Maybe the Fed should just set its policy wherever it needs to be to get the private sector to forecast that nominal GDP will be where they want. Uh, no one's really implemented that, but I think that you know has some advantages. Yeah, I would mention, going back to what Gina was saying about Powell's distancing from the natural rate idea, the natural rate of interest, the natural rate of unemployment, that's one benefit of nominal GDP targeting is you don't need to know those. You set a target for a nominal measure, a dollar measure of spending, and it allows you not to get hung up on the month-to-month, you know, movements in inflation. Maybe there's a supply shock that caused inflation to temporarily deviate. It allows you to see through it. And, and even Bernanke has mentioned this before. You know, when you have a supply shock to inflation, 
it's best to kind of work your, see through it, not to get too hung up on it. So I do think this would be consistent with a, a Powell, you know, personality, maybe even a visioning, and and hopefully in the future will be part of the discussions. That opens an interesting question, though, because could the Fed actually do that? Because their dual mandate is congressionally mandated, right? So would you need some sort of legislative change to switch over to nominal GDP targeting framework? I would say no, because uh, the two elements of maximum employment and, and price stability could be argued to be the two components of nominal GDP. You know, so you could say growth and employment is part of nominal GDP growth and slow and stable growth of prices is the other part. And so we're just it's just a question of how you trade off those two goals. Yeah, I think it's how you market it, and that's one way definitely to market it. Part of it is also marketing it to the public. The public readily understands inflation, at least they think they do. They often get relative prices confused with inflation. But you know, you'd have to frame it in a way that you'd say, look, instead of trying to stabilize inflation, the Fed's trying to stabilize the growth of your dollar income. You know, focus on income rather than inflation. So there is, I, I think, legally they could do it. I think it's more of the challenge would be marketing it to the public, marketing it to Congress. I'm glad you mentioned the public, David. Uh, and going back to Powell's communication style, combining that with nominal GDP targeting or, or any policy, one of the things that I've, I've really noticed is an uptick in the public and maybe even activist interest in the Federal Reserve. So I think many people who watch the Fed are, are used to it being the sort of boring, stable policymaking institution that's separate from a lot of the politics of, of the rest of Washington, D.C. That has changed, I think, a little bit. I think a lot of people would, would say that, especially those that have gone to congressional hearings and have seen the rooms filled, filled with people there interested in one, one political position or another over the last few years. So I'm kind of curious, are there ways that J-PAL beyond communication style, are there things that the Fed can do to address concerns that maybe are more broadly understandable than other aspects of monetary policy? So recession risk and, you know, income inequality. Does nominal GDP have an answer for those kinds of maybe more common economic concerns than, than just inflation? Well, I think it can do some things. It's not going to solve all problems in the world. Uh, I, I do think nominal GDP is increasingly popular because it addresses what, what Joe mentioned. It, it focuses on the one variable in the long run over which the Fed has control, which is total dollar spending or nominal demand. Um, but James Bullard, as you mentioned earlier, he had a recent paper, and this builds upon the work of Kevin Sheedy and some others that looks at nominal GDP targeting from the perspective of risk sharing. So, you know, one of the features of our modern economy is there's a lot of debt instruments, a lot of fixed nominal debt instruments. So we saw this very painfully in the Great Recession. All these mortgages came back to bite us in the rear. And the problem is, you know, prices on those mortgages don't adjust. People's incomes adjust, but those mortgages don't adjust. So what nominal GDP targeting does is it keeps total income growth stable so these debt burdens are easier to bear. Another way of thinking about it is, is right now the system we have with inflation targeting, debtors bear most of the risk of a downturn, um, you know, to, to income. And they also get most of the gain on the upside. And what nominal GDP targeting does in shorthand, is it effectively better allocates risk. So during a recession, it's, it would, by definition, allow inflation to go up, which would mean uh, lower real debt payments to creditors. So um, debtors would be better off. But during a boom, the flip of that would be true. During a boom, nominal GDP targeting would lead to lower inflation and creditors would, would, would get some 
higher real debt payments. So you're, you're, you're treating a debt world more like an equity world, or it turns a debt world into something more like an equity world. Um, that, there's a lot packed in there, but the basic idea is you can turn a world that's highly susceptible to shocks because of debt into something that's more like an equity world that can handle shocks better. So by comparison, the 2001 recession was much milder, gentler, because it was largely a shock to, uh, shock to equity in you know, the stock market. We didn't have all the debt, or 2008 is many more debt contracts. So I think from that perspective, it might make recessions easier given that we have a lot of debt. But again, it's not going to eliminate the business cycle altogether. <laughs> I, I do think it would make a marginal improvement. I guess one question, though, is if you've got a nominal GDP targeting regime in place, how do you deal with moments like the current one where you're getting a big fiscal stimulus that's going to push up GDP in the short run, but that is expected to kind of fade out in the longer run? You know, interest rate policy works with sort of long and variable lag, so it doesn't seem to be particularly well suited to something that's sort of almost like a temporary sugar high, if you want to think about it that way. Well, what it would do, to to the extent it would raise nominal GDP or total spending above the target, the Fed would have to offset it. It would be, you know, countercyclical to fiscal policy. So fiscal policy to the extent was destabilizing like it might be now, it would, in theory, have to respond. Now, there's a question, as you mentioned, of lags, getting the timing right. But, uh, Joe, what are your thoughts on that? No, uh, Well, I, I think that's uh, – the Fed's going to have to deal with fiscal – policy no matter what. And I think this is a poorly timed fiscal expansion and it's going to have to deal with it. Uh, but I personally, I'm much more concerned about a, a different thing, which is uh, interest rates are so low that I think the Fed you know, normally cuts rates five percentage points in a recession. Interest rates are now less than two percentage points. Uh, they just don't have room to cut five percentage points if we got hit by a recession. I, I think I worry about the lack of ammunition that the Fed has, and, and Chairman Bernanke has been talking about that lately too. I think he's worried. I think Janet Yellen was worried, but didn't want to talk about it too much. <laughs> didn't want to scare people. I think going to a nominal GDP level target, as I think David would like, will help because it actually has some nice features that, if people believe it and understand it, actually make monetary policy automatically easier uh, in a deep recession. But I fear that it's not enough, and it really depends partially on how much how credible and believable it is but even if it is fully believed and understood uh, I'm not sure it's enough by itself so I would like more tools or I'd like the Fed to have uh, some other way of helping the economy so what are you thinking negative interest rates or well the, so the, the th- things people talk about is the negative interest rates a higher overall inflation rate and um, other ability to purchase other assets and finally uh, helicopter money and, and I don't know how much time we have to go into all that, so <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, you know, any or all of those things, I think, uh, might be needed. Um, so I think uh, we need. I think we seriously need to talk about that. Well, I'm, I'm glad we kind of got here because we've got a little bit of time left. So thinking about leaving leaving our our listeners with with something to think about going forward. Thinking about the next Fed press conference and what you all are expecting, or maybe even further down the road if you all want to get into what happens if we do hit a recession within the next year or so, what are you all in particular watching for? So what are what are you expecting the Fed to do under normal circumstances? And then let's say something changes. Uh, has the Fed left itself room to respond or sort of what, what would you expect it to do under different circumstances? And we can be as creative as we want there. So if we, if we guys want to talk a little bit more about in a recession, the balance sheet's going to be an issue, or they really should go 
know, below well, zero I'll, interest rates. Let me just chime in on something I would like to see if it actually happens, and that is overshooting the inflation target. Um, you know, the latest numbers from the summary of economic projections indicate a little overshoot may be in the works, and, and they've said verbally they might ta- they would tolerate it. And well, actually, you know, they've said this is a symmetric target, but they, we haven't seen that for the past you know decade almost. But they, if you look at the summary of economic projections, for example, at, at the core PCE inflation, the central tendency, it's it's above two percent now, and for a long time it wasn't. So it will be interesting to see if they actually tolerate even just a little bit of an overshoot. Yeah, I I, uh, I think they will. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't think recession is the real risk now unless we have a trade war and that would be a, a, a funny kind of recession to think about it because uh, it might be like a supply shock. So yeah, but, so let's not go there because it, it's totally politically driven. Uh, it, it isn't going to happen. If, if, except for that, we're not going to have a recession in the next year or two. And so I think the issue is the other issue, which is that the economy overheats. Um, and I think they're willing to tolerate more of an overshoot than their forecast suggests is my view. My, my own personal view is that they're not being honest in their projections, that in fact they hmm. think that – I think they think – they believe in their heart of hearts inflation will go above 2.1 percent. Uh, so, And that's what I expect, but we'll see. And that they're not willing to stop it because they actually don't mind a mistake in that direction given <laughs> that the past few years the mistakes have been in the other direction. Right. They would rather have a mistake in a higher inflation uh, in the next couple of years than the opposite. So I think they're not going to raise rates too fast. Yeah. So my most interesting point to look forward to is actually really closely related to that. So yesterday, speaking in Sintra, Portugal, Jay Powell used the words positive hysteresis, which I made my ears perk up. So basically, <laughs> positive hysteresis means that if you push the labor market hot enough and keep it there long enough, you might pull people back in from the sidelines and actually lower your natural rate of unemployment. And so if that's what he means by it, and it's not entirely clear, but I think there is this moment that we might be seeing in history where they're kind of running this bit a bit of an experiment seeing how how you know running a hot labor market can actually change sort of the the run potential running potential of the economy and how much the economy can grow and so I'm curious to see uh, more communication around how they're thinking about that, whether that is in fact what they're <laughs> they're planning on doing, how that impacts, you know, how high they raise rates, whether that means they get to what they think of as the neutral rate and kind of stop there. Um, and I think those are all open questions right now. So for the next press conference, I'm definitely going to be listening for that. Well, unfortunately, I think I have hit my doctor-recommended quota of no more than 30 minutes of strenuous monetary policy discussion per day. Uh, So we will have to wrap up there, although I know there's obviously a lot more we could talk about. I I do want to leave our listeners with a way to keep up with your all's work because this is, by the very nature of this conversation, evolving and we're going to know a lot more with every new press conference that comes along. Uh, So I'll just go around the table. I'll start with you, David. Uh, Where can our listeners best keep up with the work that you're doing? At David Beckworth on Twitter. And Joe? At Ganyol Macro, that's G-A-G-N-O-N-M-A-C-R-O on Twitter. And Gina? I'm at Gina Smilek on Twitter. Great. Thank you all for joining, and thanks to our listeners. As always, you can reach me with any questions, comments, or episode ideas on Twitter at Chad M. Reese. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.